Hey there, this is Jenny Chen. I'm the founder of 3D Heels. Welcome to the latest podcast, the official podcast for 3D Heels. This is where you will find fun but in depth conversations with technological game changers, creative minds, entrepreneurs, rule breakers, and more. Focusing on how we can use 3D technologies like 3D printing and bioprinting to reinvent healthcare and even life sciences. This podcast will also include AMA or Ask Me Anything sessions, past Instagram live interviews with influencers, and other direct engagements with our tribe. Hi, Ali. Hello. Good to see you. Thanks for、uh, joining us, everyone. Um, um, I want to make a, a really quick intro of who we are talking to today is Professor Ali Kadahasani. He is the founding director and CEO of the Terasaki Institute for Biomedical Innovation. Previously, he has an amazing track record in academia.、Um, he was just recently the professor of bioengineering, chemical engineering, and radiology at UCLA. He was、um, he joined as the Levy Knight Chair,、um, and and before that he was at Harvard.、Um, he was a professor there, and、uh, he's also associate professor at the West Institute for Biological and Bioengineering. So move, moving all the way from East Coast to the West Coast, and、uh, I mean you have a really tremendous, impressive CV. You know.、I've, I like these numbers that I found. That you have more than 650 peer-reviewed journal articles,、uh, more than 70 book chapters, edited books, and more than 40 patents. I mean, technically speaking, that could be 40 different companies.、Uh, but you did actually founded previously two startups, and I, I know you're working on some another one, but we're not going to make that public at the moment.、Um, so yeah, that's that's、uh, I guess the, as brief as I can make it. But I think I don't really want to make it brief because、um, you know there's a lot to talk about, so that people can learn from your journey,、uh, and then maybe even find collaborators for whatever future projects you're working on. So welcome, Ali. Yeah, thank you very much, Jenny. Really appreciate it. Always、um, awesome to see you, and it's really、um, inspirational to see all that you do. You know, because I think、um, it's pretty. Um, um, amazing that you get time to actually do everything that you're doing with 3D Heels and all the other initiatives that you're leading. Thank you. Well, today is all about you.、Uh, we want to know about your stories. I know you have a lot of them, so we'll just go chronologically.、Um, you were trained as a chemical engineer,、uh, you know, initially. So it's really biomaterial, material science, probably was your first、um, entry into the 3D printing world. But how did you in- encounter 3D printing, and、uh, what did you think about it at the moment? Well, I think you know that's a really good question. So,、um, and I would even take it a little bit further back. You know, I did my masters in a stem cell、uh, lab, and one of the things that I found really interesting was that as an engineer, I found that lots of biology is done in a way that's not really controlled, and. Cells are in a dish, and there's not nearly as much、um, understanding of what they're doing. So I became really fascinated early on by trying to、um, create more control over what the cells see in a in a tissue culture or in a 3D environment, and that's what got me excited about biomaterials and early on with microfabrication technologies to be able to 
control that microenvironment. And um, subsequent to that, you know, when um, I started my own faculty position, I started getting more um, into um, some of this um, areas and it's specifically one of the things that I um, use, there's a lot of microfabrication techniques to control gel structures and um, molding and light patterning and all that stuff. Um, it wasn't until a few years after I started that uh, 3D bioprinting actually started. And early on, I was really lucky because um, um, one of the early companies, Organovo, um, worked with us um, early on to really get a 3D printer into my lab um, and that got us to work um, on, in that area. And um, after that, um, I started getting more and more um, attached to it. I started realizing that actually this whole um, 3D bioprinting, which was actually going on a few years before I got into it, was a really exciting uh, field and opportunity. And um, and then we, uh, I had some really great uh, postdocs that actually came to the lab and really grew that area. We developed a lot of printers ourselves, and we had like um, lots of really cool stuff come out of it. So, but it was really a progression uh, from early on when I wanted to control cell microenvironment to really opportunistic things like working with Organovo very early in their development. Yeah, awesome. I remember visiting your lab and your uh, postdocs and, and researchers were so excited to show me everything you guys are doing with 3D printing. Um, I know we're going to address what are some of the major applications that you encounter in 3D printing later, but, but I just want to, since we're on this topic, what do you, what does your lab uh, or your current research use 3D printing for? Yeah. So um, what we do right now in the lab is fairly diverse. Um, uh, we, we generally focus on a lot of personalization of our um, approaches, therapeutics, and other types of um, work that we do. So uh, one of the areas that we use a lot of 3D bioprinting is actually printing uh, tissues, um, cells, and materials for either regenerative medicine applications or actually being able to make models of human tissues outside of the body um, on what they call organs on a chip. Mm -hmm. so a lot of work is done on that. But in addition to, to bioprinting, uh, we also do a lot of 3D printing of um, materials uh, for making devices, um, electronics, or all kinds of other things. So we have both bioprinting world, but also um, 3D printing to make uh, better structures and better devices. Awesome. Uh, I promise I will read all your publications. <laughs> One day, I will achieve that. Well, you're a fast learner, so I wouldn't be surprised. No, I'm fascinated. Was when I went to your lab, you know, I saw those uh, microfluidic chips that you guys are manufacturing in the lab. I mean, you 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 have a little mini factories in your lab, basically. Um, yeah, you know, that's one of the good things about some of these technologies is actually becomes um, it's now become so uh, easily usable that we can do these things in a lab as opposed to have to go to a clean room, uh, centralized facility, and that really allows. Um, everyone in the world to be able to have access to these technologies. Absolutely. Um, now let's continue on this chronological journey. Um, you have to start as a student and then you move on to your graduate degrees. And then somewhere you're the hero of the story. You meant you met a guidance, uh, a mentor of some sort. How did you find that mentor and who are they? Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting question because I've always 
tried to get really involved and really passionate about what I do um, at the time. Um, so early on when I was at uh, high school, um, you know, I was really excited about particular things, but I wasn't really excited about science as much. I was more interested in athletics and um, other types of high school-y type things. Like I was really into even playing chess or other things. So when I, when I went to university, I started to uh, understand more about why I'm doing a university, why I'm actually doing science. Um, I started making connections between different things that I learned and that became exciting for me. Um, it wasn't um, until I went to a lab um, that I actually had my first scientific mentors. Of course, you know, as growing up, your your parents are always uh, there for you, and so they're very influential. But um, in a lab, I started having uh, scientific mentors, and um, uh, some of my early uh, professors in Toronto were very um, inspirational. And when I went to MIT, when I interacted with Bob Langer, who's really a historic figure, um, that was really a turning point because I started to realize that, wow, you know, if a person um, can accomplish so much, then we should have no limits on ourselves. And, you know, we shouldn't just say, oh, this is um, the standard, this is the norm, because, you know, him as one person has accomplished um, an incredible amount. So, and then you start picking up things uh, from the mentor, not necessarily by them telling you, but just by you know, osmosis and observation. So how, um, um, how you set up goals, how you actually go through step-by-step step to achieve them, how you surround yourself with people who can help you. You know, all of those things are very important. And I feel that during my graduate school and early faculty, I actually picked up a lot of those skills. I can feel that you did. Um, you published, you know, 650 paper and growing that number. I mean, that's an incredible amount of publications i.e. work that you have done. I mean, you're still a very young professor, I would say, probably one of the youngest ones. Um, how did you get to do all these? How are you able, I mean, are you parallel processing? Are you just incredibly efficient? What's the secret sauce? Well, the, really the secret sauce is just working with a lot of good people, right? So, and that's um, really the only thing about it. I, I try not to be a rate limiting step. Um, and I try to uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are around me, make sure that if there is uh, a, an idea or a publication or a person that, can, uh, that I can help um, develop, then I will actually uh, spend time on that. And, and I try not to have too many what I would call like wasted um, time. For example, things that I know are not are just useless I don't try to spend time on them. I try to kind of just uh, quickly um, deviate and focus on something that I can do. And then the other thing is really focusing on finishing. Um, you know, I tell, I tell some of my folks, it's not necessarily how hard you work, because I know some people love to work hard, um, but um, working hard is one element of success. You have to work hard and at the same time um, be able to actually take that hard work and finish things and finishing is really just as important as starting things so i've been uh, very uh, focused on finishing um uh, projects and having a very clear vision right off the bat what is it that finish looks like um because especially in science you can continue exploring new things um so being able to have um the 
um, the vision and the end goal in mind, I think is really important in being productive. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, wow. I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree. With it. I, I don't have anything to add to that. Um, I would say um, when you say about the endpoint, focusing on the endpoint, it's almost like focusing on the ultimate value of your project, right? Like it's almost like a conversion in business. Like, yeah, now I have finally converted my invention or technologies into something that the market accepts and people can buy. And, um, and the value of that probably sometimes 10, 100 folds than just the process of scientific investigation, which was also valuable itself. But um, this endpoint definitely, that's a really good way of looking at all kinds of projects, in fact. Um, I think I should use that myself sometimes <laughs> to make sure that my end goal is is meeting my ultimate general picture for 3D Hills. Yeah, um, I would just yeah. like maybe just add a um, little bit of more comments in there. Um, you know, I think there is uh, obviously a difference between productivity, productivity and impact, right? And that's something that I've had to kind of learn as I've um, matured, right? So because you can be extremely productive, i.e. finish many different things, but not necessarily make um, huge impact, or you can just finish one thing and make incredible impact. So, so I've, um, and that's something that again, I, when I, I've been, um, going through lots of different things and it took a lot of different things for me to appreciate what real impact is. So for example, like I really, um, give a lot of credit to people, um, not only like Bob Langer, but also uh, the person from BioNTech, Ogur Sahin, um, who actually started that company, BioNTech, and um, um, arguably helped save the world from COVID, right? So, so I think those are um, the kind of things that have incredible impact, and you don't necessarily need to have uh, published a thousand papers to get to that um, level. But definitely, if you learn to be productive and to appreciate what impact is and then try to do both, then I think that's really the ultimate. Yeah. I'm still learning how to do that, to be honest. Yeah, well, saving the world. That's our goal, all of us. Um, (laughs) Make make a difference in the world. Um, Now that you mentioned Bob Langer a couple of times, I mean, he is very influential in the field. And also, he kind of crosses the world of science and entrepreneurship and business. I mean, he's built a billion dollar company, um, you know, um, basically. So, and then I can see that you're kind of looking at him as a mentor. He's an aspiring figure. Um, how did you, like, were you always an entrepreneur kind of person? And then, and then you, you now like are more definitively want to get into the entrepreneur space. So I would say, um, when I obviously when I was um, going to early university, I just I didn't even know really what entrepreneurship was. Yeah. Um, I I got exposed to it when I was a PhD student at MIT, and um, seeing a lot of my classmates and a lot of um, my lab mates around me um, do entrepreneurial activity. Now, so it became part of my DNA at that point, but I still um, had not developed into the stage of my career that I really wanted to focus on it. Early on, I was too much um, into the really survival mode of being a young professor. And that uh, required me to focus on the metrics of academic success, which is, mm-hmm. you know, publish your papers and do all these other things that um, is required to 
be a successful professor. But as you um, as you develop and you uh, move forward in your career and you start saying, okay, you know, um, let's go beyond productivity to impact as the measure of success, then um, entrepreneurship starts actually meaning something that's more than uh, a word. Um, it's a it's a measure of how you can actually change the world and how you can make an impact. So um, so it's really been in the past few years that I've started to. Um, um, embark on that journey. And I think that even, um, even that process of embarking was a lot of education uh, along the way. So my first uh, few um, ideas and initiatives, I would say, were much more of a niche areas as opposed to things that are very broad and very applicable um, to a lot of different people. So I've actually learned to, um, to understand early on what is the uh, measure of impact that I'm trying to go after. And if it's something that um, at this point in my life doesn't really justify um, a significant amount of time, then I try to not focus on that project, even though it may be a startup or it may have um, some real world application. Um, I think just my own interests are in making bigger um, impacts now. So, so that even the entrepreneurial aspect has been a kind of a, um, learning and developing over the past few years, and it continues to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm me too. And I really enjoy the process as well. Um, now, do you feel like you're okay? First of all, let's just admit that you're an extremely successful scientist. You've done it. You've done it hundreds of times. You know how to do it right. And uh, you probably will end up with a Nobel Prize at some point. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, bottom line. So well, now. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Thank you. I look forward to the party invitation, just so you know. <laughs> um, but now you're going to a totally different space, which could be scary because you've never been there before. It's not like you went to business school. I didn't go to a business school. I have to figure out accounting and everything. Um, but do you feel the scientific background actually kind of helped you in certain way to tackle current problems that you face as entrepreneur? That's a really um, interesting uh, question. I think definitely if you know a particular area well, if you feel confident um, in your own domain, then that brings you a certain level of um, um, understanding and being able to hold yourself in a meeting and in a room. And at the same time, um, you, you become enough confident with yourself that you start expressing things that you don't know, right? So if I don't know something about a particular aspect, then I'm not afraid to say, hey, listen, I, you know, I'm a, I may know everything about the science of this, but I have no idea about this other terminology you use about, let's say, how a startup is priced. Um, yeah. So then I, I don't mind asking. Um, and I think the other thing is that uh, one of my one of the things that I've actually liked about this whole journey of mine is that uh, every time I felt like I settled or I understood something really well, I tried to shake things up. So, like I was at Harvard, then I was a you know full professor. I had a big lab, and I'm like, okay, the next you know thirty years, uh, do I want more of the same? Or do I want something totally different? And you know, then I went to UCLA on the other side of the country, and I'm like, okay, um, university is fine, but do I want to, um, you know, just confine myself to this? So then I push myself to go to a different experience like Amazon, which is a totally uh, different yeah. world, right? So, Tell me about that. I totally forgot about that part of your journey. How interesting. Yeah. How did you get into that position? Mm -hmm. 
So, so I think, you know, I was at um, UCLA and I, um, I started getting this opportunity to lead um, at this new research organization. And I wanted, I had this vision that I actually wanted it to be something that is an innovation engine. So it actually generates science and tries to push it to the real world. Um, and I knew I was going to have a leadership role um, building an organization. Uh, so those were all really exciting challenges, but I, I figured out that I, while I'm a good professor, I really don't have the experience in the real world, real industry, um, and also um, understanding how to set a culture, how to build uh, an organization, things that Amazon has done incredibly well, and they've been able to scale now to over a million people who work for them. Um, so that's why I kind of, I, you know, picked up the phone one day and I called um, some of my contacts there and I said, listen, hey, I'd love to come um, and work there while I'm doing this transition. Um, and it was really incredible experience because, again, you, what you what is a measure of success in the, as a professor is totally different from when you're working at a company like Amazon. And, and I think that opens up your eyes. And once your eyes are open, then you're, you're like, okay, I don't want to be confined by a particular uh, measure of success, which, um, which is, at the end of the day may not be as important as some other one. Okay. Well, then the segue of that conversation is your current role as the co-founding director and CEO of Terasaki Institute. And I think that's right after your Amazon experience, right? That's right. So who made, who inspired or motivated, or you just found this opportunity yourself, or it's always been in the back of your head for a while? Well, it's, it's interesting. I definitely wanted to have an opportunity to um, build something in my own vision. Um, it's been something like whether when I was at Harvard, I really wanted to build a center that had um, the kind of um, ideas that I wanted to push it forward. But, you know, at, at the Institute, when I was at UCLA, I saw this opportunity. There's a foundation that has a significant endowment. They actually have multiple buildings, including laboratory spaces, but they're not really um, as effective um, as what their kind of resources should demonstrate. So, so when I, um, I met the family and I basically pitched to them, I said, listen, this is a really great opportunity. I would love um, to help in kind of shaping this opportunity to something impactful. And this is my vision. And I kind of laid out that um, I wanted to build something that would be translational and would have lots of different um, activities around it. So, and I think that resonated with them because uh, Dr. Terasaki, who was the um, person who actually endowed the Institute, was an academic entrepreneur um, who developed major, um, major um, achievements in transplantation science. So in some ways was a good um, continuation of his legacy to be the world's best place for academic entrepreneurs and, um, and at the same time to kind of sh shake things up and uh, make it much more forward-looking into what the future of the science would be. Yeah, no, I'm really happy for you. Um, this will be your third kind of co-created company or institution. Um, maybe, and there will be more, I know that, but again, it's a secret. Um, so tell us about your work currently with Charisaki and what are your goals? I mean, this is a good opportunity to also do some shout outs to see, you know, are you guys looking for people, you know, talents or, or are you looking for partners? Yeah. So definitely, um, um, we are trying to grow. We've, um, had a couple of buildings, 
um, here in Los Angeles, and we recently purchased our third building, which is a very big building. Wow. Definitely need a lot of people to fill it. Um, so, and right now that building is being renovated. About a year from now, I would say we're kind of um, ready to um, unveil that building. And what the whole idea with it, with it is to try to get people who are interested in making a real difference. Um, and um, by real difference, I think definitely you want to have the academic rigor, be able to publish really um, high impact. Um, kind of quality work. But at the same time, people who are interested in potentially um, spinning out companies um, with the work that they do, potentially really um, uh, making um, real world uh, products with it. And so, so that's kind of the phenotype of people that we're looking at, people who are really ambitious, driven, passionate about what they want to do. And, um, and I can tell, tell from my own experience that um, when I was young, I really felt that I needed to have the stamp on my forehead of a major institution um, for me to feel important about myself, that, oh, I'm a MIT or a Harvard or, you know, things like that. But, but as I kind of went um, forward and I became more comfortable in my own skin, I realized that, no, it's actually a me, it's me doing the work, not necessarily the logo. So, so, I, so that's why I think it's actually this place, even though um, it's new, it actually has a lot of opportunity for young people because they can actually come and be at a place where they're given challenges and they're, um, you know, they're expected to accomplish a lot of things. And for the good people, I think that's actually what you need to be, be able to have the resources and the opportunity to really um, um, dive deep and um, come up with some really incredible things, which we're hoping to do here. So about this, these new buildings of the Terasaki, are they lab space? I'm assuming these are mainly for conducting scientific research. Yeah, so um, two of our buildings are um, lab uh, facilities, um, and one of our buildings is more administrative um, mm -hmm. building. So what's the motto of Terasaki? I mean, say someone, uh, I mean, individuals, I get it. Maybe they want to be a postdoc there um, or just um, employee. But do you, have you guys considered of incubating other companies, say, to also use your facility um, and now have like equity or something like that? Yeah. So, so that's a really interesting question. So obviously um, in our kind of, mission of trying to become world's best place for academic entrepreneurs. We want to have the kind of perks and opportunities that's not there everywhere. So we are actually um, developing incubator program for companies that are kind of initially spun out from our own faculty, as well as faculty that are affiliated with us. So mm -hmm. we will provide um, a really uh, an excellent opportunity for early stage companies to be located and co-work uh, with the Institute. And, um, and I think we're going to only grow that. We're going to not only uh, provide the space, but down the road, provide other resources, financial and otherwise, to be able to get these companies off the ground. Yeah, actually, Los Angeles is actually pretty good for biotechnology startups because they have tax incentives. The government is actually pretty friendly with biotech companies. Um, by the way, once your uh, incubators start getting um, picked up, I more than happy to uh, also see if I, I can invest in them or having other investors invest in them. So Wonderful. Yeah, definitely. We always need good people. Um, I have one question from the audience. I think it's relevant, but I can understand. It's pretty simple, but it's, 
I understand where it came from. When you're in a lab as a researcher, but you have such a great idea you thought could be a good commercial product, how do you go about to launch this product? Yeah, so um, I would say the first thing is, you know, there's a lot of things that we think are great ideas, which actually, if you dive deep, you realize that maybe the opportunity is not as exciting as one may have thought. Um, we have this kind of inherent view of having like, we put blinders on as researchers, right? Because we go so deep into things that we don't often see the big picture. So I think the first thing I would try to do when I'm a researcher working on things is to really just step back and try to see if I'm actually doing something that's going to be relevant and doing um, something that is differentiated enough, different enough from other things out there. You know, one of the measures I would say is that whatever you're, you think is going to be a good product has to be 10 times better than what's already out there for people to actually use it. If it's just slightly better, then you really don't have a chance. Um, and then the other thing is how big really is this um, market? Because a lot of times, even if we think over doing something um, really nice, then, um, and these are lessons I've learned myself, you know, if the market is just not big enough, you can do the whole thing. And then once you start trying to actually make it into a real world, then the investors say, okay, listen, this is not really going to be a good business, so we're not interested. So there's a lot of things that I think early scientists need to kind of um, just think about and learn. Uh, the best way, um, I think, is to think about these, but uh, definitely don't uh, get um, bogged down by them. I think, you know, just moving forward and um, making mistakes is better than uh, being too timid and not trying things. Yeah. And uh, also, don't just have one idea, right? Have like a hundred of them. And then so that you don't get emotional attached to just one idea. And if that doesn't work out, then that's the end of the story. Have a hundred ideas and uh, really stress test your ideas. You know, do product market fit trying to dig deeper into market research. Um, yeah, the hard work is definitely necessary. Um, so we have a last couple of minutes. I promise that we're going to talk about applications of 3D printing. I think everybody wants to know more from a, a real professor as opposed to me. <laughs> so, um, so Ali, why don't you uh, tell us, what, what do you think are going to be the most important application with 3D printing uh, in the future? Well, I think there's going to be a few. Um, you know, obviously, the medical applications are going to be very important. I think, um, you know, uh, making tissues for all kinds of different applications, I can see uh, for medical reasons. You know, as you know, uh, um, we also have a program at the Institute about uh, making uh, food products using um, 3D printing. So, so being able to 3D print um, cells and other things for making um, um, meat or other types of products, I think is also very interesting. You know, I think really like 3D printing is going to become a lot more just like a standard tool um, in manufacturing. And I think as we do that and the bioprinting aspect is just a way of using that for biological sense uh, applications, then it's just going to be, um, you know, something that's just um, as common as any other um, tool that's in manufacturing. And I think actually what you and your organizations have done has actually been very um, important because you have, uh, first of all, exposed the field to broader audience, but also brought the community of the bioprinting folks together a lot of times as well, which is very important as well. So thank you to you, Jenny, for also making um, all of this happen and uh, helping that vision. 
Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, and, and now we're at the stage that we want to help startups with fundraising because that's going to be the biggest barrier next for the next step. And, and as we the technology field as a whole grows, I believe the market size is going to grow. More and more applications will be starting to use 3D printing, whereas it didn't before. And new products won't happen, won't be created until we have the next step, next stage of technology. Um, well, I, I know, Professor, you're very busy, so I'm not going to keep you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us today and your questions. If we haven't addressed it, feel free to um, text us, and then I'll forward to uh, Professor, and then we'll have some follow-ups. So thank you again, and have a nice day. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. That's it for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 3D Heels, and check out the links in the show notes. See you next time.